SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed in the podcast are individual opinions and might not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 75 with guest Joe Sack. Our guest today, Joe, has been on the show previously and is a principal program manager at Microsoft on the SQL Server team. So welcome, Joe. Thank you, Greg. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, awesome. And so look, caught my eye the other day, you were posting about intelligent query processing. And this is an area that sort of interests me a great lot. And obviously, this is part of a series of SQL Server 2019 shows that we're doing. But I remember even back in 2005, uh, I remember some sessions I went to where they said, look, there were three things that were interesting in nearly every version of SQL Server. It was the things where you do a little bit of work and you get a big outcome, things where you re-architect to get a better outcome. But there's a whole lot of things where it just runs better. And yeah. these all strike me as part of the latter. So uh, it looks like things that just help us make the applications run better without us doing any work. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, that's exactly it. So the idea is a broad impact, but with minimum implementation effort. So mm -hmm. uh, typically just uh, bumping up the compatibility level. And yeah. so in SQL Server 2017, we got the beginnings of some of this. And uh, in particular, the one that I particularly liked is the one where the choice between lookups and hash matches was deferred until the first branch of a query was run. That was yeah pretty nice and there's a lot of very badly behaved applications that would just simply work better in that environment. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So I think last time we spoke, um, Shreya was also on the call and we, we did kind of a dual discussion of, uh, of graph and um, adaptive query processing mm. is what we originally called it, um, yep. which included the adaptive joins you were talking about, um, included interleaved uh, execution, for multi-statement table valued functions. Uh, yep. That's a very long name, I know. And then memory grant feedback. Um, mm -hmm. And then since then, we've added five additional features. And we've put this, if you imagine like uh, uh, adaptive QP being the subset of the superset, the superset being intelligent query processing. Mm -hmm. uh, and story behind that, by the way, um, originally we wanted to have everything under adaptive QP because why create another uh, feature family name. Yep. Uh, but not everything that we're adding is necessarily adaptive, um, but ideally we're doing things in a more intelligent way. That was the yeah. intent behind it. Uh, and if you start having these uh, features roll out separately and we discuss them all in a, in a vacuum and they each have their own bubble, uh, it, gets, it gets pretty esoteric and pretty confusing. Um, so mm. there's, um, uh, it's good to, to find a theme and then roll into that theme. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Yeah, people, I think yeah. sometimes uh, continuing with that sort of branding or labeling uh, across versions is a good thing. I, I notice even with uh, always encrypted in this version, they were discussing with us whether the new changes would have a different name and we were just going, no, mm -hmm. no, 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 just keep 
yeah. running with the same branding and then people we have, have a few basic. patterns and anti-patterns right so yeah. always on being <laughs> yes 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the bane of alan hurt's life yeah. <laughs> spelling of uh of always on yeah yeah keep, so keep tell, tell us about the ones this time Okay, so so um, there's five additional features. Um, let's let's start with adaptive QP. Um, mm -hmm. What we added for memory grant feedback. Uh, so you'll recall uh, for adaptive joins and memory grant feedback, they were both for batch mode. Yep. So at that time, it meant there was some kind of column store index in the mix. Uh, now, uh, that's assuming you're not playing any tricks like doing a, a column store index where you have a, a filter that always evaluates to false and then you get batch mode in the plan. So, um, but uh, assuming you have column store in the mix, you could have the adaptive joins. You could also have memory grant feedback. Um, memory grant feedback, general rule of thumb there for batch mode when it was introduced was if I spilt a disk um, or if I'm wasting more than 50% memory for sort or hash operations, on consecutive executions, we will fix the memory. So on the next execution, we'll add the amount that you spilled or reduce the amount that you wasted plus a little bit of a buffer. And then ideally, the consecutive executions don't have that same problem. Yeah. And, for, and actually, maybe you should spell out too the problem that occurs if, if that doesn't occur. Yeah. So, so okay. So first of all, if, it, if something spills to disk, so let's say we think we're going to get one row flowing through a query like through a mm -hmm. query tree and we actually get a million rows yep. and you're doing, and you have an order by in your, you have a, a sorting requirement for your query uh, and you're using a hash operation, for example. Um, and again, we're just expecting one row. Well, we're not going to ask for a grant that's appropriately sized. We're going to, mm -hmm. we're going to ask for a grant that reflects that one row. And if it's a million rows, um, we don't change prior, prior to these features. We would not change our strategy and you could spill to disk. And of course, if you're spilling to disk versus everything in memory, significant performance overhead. Yeah. And on the flip side, if I'm wasting memory, which by the way is more common than anything. So, so mm -hmm. we speak through telemetry um, that a, a good amount of uh, workloads in, in cloud will waste memory, a lot of it. Um, now, if I'm wasting memory and I'm asking for one gig and I'm using 10 meg, no problem. I, I run just fine, um, especially if I got my grant right away. Yeah. But if you start having a lot of concurrent requests and they're all asking for that 10 gig grant and you're only using 10 meg, uh, you're going to start gating. So the mm. resource semaphore weight problem, um, you'll start gating for memory that you're not even using. Yeah. So memory grant feedback attacks that space. And we started off with batch mode. Uh, and now as of, uh, for Azure SQL database right now under compatibility level 150, and then also SQL Server 2019 uh, in the latest CTPs, um, we support row mode. So we basically mm -hmm. support both batch and row. Uh, and so every kind of workload that might spill or waste memory. Yeah. And then um, we've also added a little bit to the plan. Uh, so um, prior to 2019, if you wanted to see if memory grant feedback kicked off, like uh, you'd see the actual grant change over time, um, but you would need an X event to see that it happened. Yeah, and, so you um, could attach an extended event and see the change occur <clears throat> as it occurs. Exactly. And um, for 2019 and, and for SQL DB with, with uh, later versions of SSMS, uh, you can now see a new plan attribute where um, there's a couple of new attributes. The last memory grant that we 
requested, and then also the state of memory grant feedback if it kicked off. So we have different things like, is it stable? Is it adjusting? Um, did we disable it? Because you know there's still mm. parameter sensitivity scenarios. If I'm oscillating between high, low, high, low, we'll, we'll shut it off automatically behind the scenes. Mm. Um, you now have that visibility in the actual execution plan. Now, we should also probably mention too, what are the things that cause those estimates of the grant that were required in the first place to be wrong? Yeah, a good good, good question. So, so um, a lot of different things can cause this. Um, on the good day scenario, it's just statistics. Um, maybe you're mm -hmm. missing statistics. Um, maybe your statistics need to be updated so they don't reflect reality. You think you have one row and you have 10 million. Mm -hmm. um, there are scenarios where um, it, you have a lot of data distributions that are jagged. So mm -hmm. um, let's say I have a, a billion row table and um, store number one might have 10 rows, store number 22 might have a million, up and down and up and down. And it's more that could actually be represented in a 200 step histogram. Yeah. Um, so, um, so it could be sampling loss. Um, those are the easier kind of scenarios. Mm -hmm. And then you get into um, uh, things like assumptions. Um, so part of cardinality estimation, the art of it is we, we want to generate a query execution plan that's good enough as quickly as possible. Um, we're not looking for the best plan, but we're looking to, you know, make some educated decisions. Um, and a lot of times we base that on stats and then a set of assumptions. And if we're wrong about the assumptions, uh, for example, independence versus correlation, of predicates in your where clause. Um, if I have a query that says, okay, show me rows where city equals Minneapolis, state equals Minnesota. Um, you know, if you're from Minnesota, you would know those two are 100% correlated. Yeah. Um, but in SQL Server, uh, unless you have the multi-column stats, we assume in earlier versions that it's completely independent. And mm -hmm. then with the new, new, newer CE, we call it default CE now, yeah. um, it, we make that kind of softened assumption. Mm -hmm. So, so we have, you know, heuristics, we have assumptions, um, you have scenarios where we make just an all-out guess. Um, yep. So examples like scalar UDF inlining. Or yes, yes, yes. There's still been that. those over the years. I, I yeah. remember uh, uh, often with things like in uh, XML, the nodes method, uh, for example, where yes. pull apart a piece of XML and it would come back and say, 10,000 rows and you go, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the fixed case. There, so, there were six. <laughs> so anything off the relational path, you'll find um, we start making a, a lot more, um, you, you find the guesses once you, you go off the, the standard select from where group I having kind of mm. scenario. I remember Steve Cass, uh, MVP from uh, the US, and uh, I remember at the time him commenting that if the entire data was 300 bytes, there probably aren't 10,000 rows in there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably safe. That's mm. probably safe, yeah. But yeah, so so that I hope that creates a context of, you know, yeah. this, is, this is why we might sometimes get the number uh, wrong. And, and, um, and sometimes we just, in absence of better stats, sometimes we still need to uh, make adjustments to strategy. And so you'll notice over these last two versions, now 2017, 2019, and SQL DB, um, we're not looking to make a new, new CE. We're not looking to mm. um, try to bolster that costing. Estimator. Yeah. Yeah. And we, yeah. We are, um, we're trying to instead say, okay, there's different approaches that we can take during compilation. There are different feedback loops we can look at. Um, uh, there are different ways that we can correct our original strategy mm -hmm. in, a, in a lightweight fashion. And so you're seeing this start to roll out and, and the story is becoming bigger and bigger each version. Yeah.
Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so that's that's memory gram feedback. Uh, the next one on now now if we kind of step outside of the adaptive QP bubble, there are a few different features um, that we're adding that aren't adaptive, but ideally are are uh, more intelligent. Mm -hmm. um, the one is called, and by the way, you can blame me for some of these names. Um, <laughs> sometimes uh, they're lengthy, so so erring on the side of um, of lengthy and and specific versus um, uh, magical. Um, mm -hmm. Table variable deferred compilation. That's um, yep. uh, a mouthful, but um, as you know, table variables. This is another scenario where we make a fixed guess, and we mm -hmm. make that fixed guess because if you have table variables and you're compiling for the first time. We don't wait for the execution and the population of that table variable to get the cardinality estimate. Yeah. So uh, we go ahead and just make a guess of one row. Mm. And, and now, it could change as well and in it different parts of a query. Yeah, so. Absolutely, yeah, and it can change. Now, um, it, one of the things I mentioned a little bit earlier is just you know we're trying to have broad impact. So um, we don't want to chase problem scenarios that don't have a lot of usage. Uh, mm -hmm. Table variables are incredibly popular today. Um, yep. When I talk about scalar uh, UDFs, T-SQL, incredibly popular today. Mm. Uh, and, and when you saw like interleaved execution for multi-statement table valued functions in 2017, again, that was based on orders of magnitude more popular than other things we could have used to interleave mm. execution with. Um, so table variables are still very popular. We find that um, there's still a lot of myths out there um, mm -hmm. in spite of smart MVPs blogging and warning and saying, hey, here are the behavioral differences between temporary tables and table variables. Um, we still find that people are running into this issue where we make that fixed guess of one and then they populate it with a million. They join it to another table and they start experiencing all kinds of performance problems. I, I think a lot of the initial myth things come basically because of the concept of it being a variable. People expect yes. this to be a, a memory-based structure. This lightweight you know, and, and if you look at like, if you were to like conceptualize, what are all the differences uh, differences between temporary tables and table variables? Yeah. You know, the, like the index support, stat support, um, temporary tables are much more rich. And certainly you could look at table variables though and say, this is lighter weight. Um, so yes, if you have one or two rows, no problem. Um, but what we decided to do in this space, uh, and Jack Lee, um, I don't know if you remember reading some of his blog posts um, back in the CSS days, this is one mm. of the first features he worked on was uh, table yep. variable deferred compilation. He, yep. um, we've changed one aspect. We just said, look, like temporary tables, um, let us wait to do the actual compilation into the first execution. Mm. And then once we populated the rows for that first execution, that is the number we're going to use. So we're, we're, we're modeling the same behavior as temporary tables. We did not change anything else in terms of parity between temporary tables and table mm. variables. And part of that is because it's very risky, right? With this huge adoption, um, mm. we, we have to move carefully. One of the decision points we had is, do, you, do we also add stats associated with it? Yeah. And, um, and we decided- Well, you have and, and, some stats now, basically, yes. Well, we have, we have at least the number of rows. The cardinality, yeah. Yeah, but the, the stats, you know, like if you need stats to inform you on a proper join, choice between another table. We don't have it to that level. Um, and that was just by, by choice of let's, let's make this one aspect, uh, let's make this one change and see if it hits uh, most of the scenarios and pain points. And yeah, so now, I, often, I often hear people refer to them as memory tables and I think, oh. <laughs> yes, no, no. yeah. And, and I, uh, I'm look, sure we fed into that too. I mean, I remember there was old yeah. Microsoft documentation that, that um, helped kind of uh, 
uh, firm up that myth. And yeah, that actually, what what was a bit nasty? It was around the recompilation stuff. But uh, uh, I, I remember some of the best practices analyzers. Every single time it found a temporary table, it would say, you should consider replacing this with the table variable. Aye, aye. Yeah, and I okay. used to think, oh, <laughs> you know, if ever Sowing, was, sowing the seeds of our future investments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if ever there was sort of uh, questionable advice, it was that one, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so so that one um, that one's pretty simple and just that we model after that behavior. And by the way, it's the same um, set of conditions that you would expect with temporary tables where if you have oscillations like if you mm -hmm. might have at any given point 10 rows a million rows and then 15 rows and then 2 million rows um, and the cash plan you use is based on the first execution it's the same behavior as with a temporary table yeah um, it's not going to help you if you're weaving back and forth but if you have a consistent uh, data frequency that you expect in that table variable uh, this could be very helpful hi this is greg just wanted to thank you for listening to this show and let you know that if you'd like to let me teach you more about SQL Server, we now have both free courses and low-cost courses available online and on demand. The courses include detailed hands-on lab work for you to complete to reinforce your learning, and there are more courses coming in the next few months. You'll find details at training.sqldownunder.com. Next one is um, actually let's let's talk about this one's a little bit of a side discussion in a way because um, it's an unexpected um, entry as part of the, the family uh, uh, but it's approximate query processing and specifically mm -hmm. approximate count distinct yep um, we were continuing to get uh, questions from internal customers and I'm sure we've gotten ones from external customers as well different mm -hmm. folks that were, have been involved in this but I, I firsthand knowledge of discussions with internal uh, partners that where they have enormous data sets, um, huge big data across multiple nodes, above, um, distributed topologies where they have to get um, approximate uh, values, whether they're percentiles, count distincts, different op operations where they have to create their own approximate equivalents so mm -hmm. that they can get just uh, general information along the way without having to get exact, but still within a good error range. Yeah. Um, so we were hearing lots of feedback about that. And um, there are scenarios where approximate is good enough. Like if you have a dashboard and you're logging in and you're not caching that value and every time you log in, you're running an approximate count distinct against an enormous data set for an exact value. Um, as you probably have seen before, Greg, you get these enormous memory grants. Oh yeah. Um, and and yeah. it's it's just a scary thing to do. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I find even in the operating system, the same thing. I go to copy an enormous number of files from this place to that place. Now it sits there for 10 minutes calculating how many files it's going to copy before it starts copying. <laughs> yeah. think, just copy the files. Yeah, yeah just start, please. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a similar vein of thought, or the other one is the um, data exploration itself. Like if you're doing like feature selection or how many distinct yep. values are part of this billion row set um, and you're running concurrently with others, it, it doesn't take much to get into memory grant uh, gating scenarios. Mm. So um, uh, we've introduced a prox count distinct as the first entry uh, for approximate QP functionality. Mm -hmm. And um, and while it can help with performance, I, I uh, most often I've been framing it as concurrency because it's a very, very light footprint. Um, so instead of like a 1.5 gig, I have one example where it's 1.5 gig 
for approximate for the actual count distinct, uh, and a, for the approximate equivalent, it's it's like 12 meg. Yeah. Um, so very light footprint. Um, it's appropriate for big data where you can get. Um, I think we say two percent. Uh, within two percent, ninety-seven percent of the time, uh, lots of distinct values. Um, not for banking applications. Not yes. for yes. <laughs> not for areas where you need the. Exact so what's what's the general approach? Because I've always imagined you could do things like I don't know. Yeah. So so for the approach that we're using is um, publicly documented. It's on actually there's a link to Wikipedia page um, on hyperlog log. Yep. Um, so basically, a probabilistic method for mm -hmm. you know using a sketch and and um, generating this very accurate um, uh, approximate count distinct value. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what that's what we're using. Um, where you know it, it where it might not be as good as if you don't have a lot of distinct values over a large result set. Um, again, anything off the very specific scope that I just described. Um, but um, yeah, hyperlog log. And um, if you asked me to actually get into the algorithm, I couldn't do it, Greg. I'm mm. a psychology major. So, <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> limits. There's limits. Uh, are there any situations in the query plans then when SQL Server would realize that it doesn't know something, but it could make a substantial difference to the plan if it knew that? Does it then use that same mechanism? I oh so so in the specific example of approximation could be used that um, there there are uh, let's just uh, I'll speak generally that as we're looking into the approximate space um, there are obvious areas where we could apply um, approaches to other areas mm -hmm. I know that's pretty vague uh, that's yeah, that's yeah. my say um, but but yes um, there are opportunities there. And so as we lay down these solutions, it, it actually opens up, um, uh, it, it informs us on other features. Yeah, yeah, because so, I, yeah. I look at that immediately and think that probably has more application internally almost than externally, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. It'll be to, to be to be seen, right? You know, um, uh, I think um, it's mostly new, new market if we're talking about approximate count distinct, if you talk about SQL DB, although yep. we have an enormous amount of people using columns for indexes and big data, more than you would suspect. Um, and DW, it's kind of a no-brainer. No um, but, um, uh, and then of course for box, you know there's relational data warehouses you know, all over the place. So, so uh, it'll be interesting to watch that adoption and it'll be interesting mm. to see where we go within that, that feature family. I think um, we have a good idea of where we should go next. Um, if people listening to the podcast have input on what they would like to see next, I definitely want to hear about it. Yeah. Now you mentioned in passing there too, that uh, column store adoption has been really, really good. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, obviously now you get direct feedback where you can find that sort of thing out, which is great. Um, it's, it's just interesting that even in, uh, it's, I often think I look at things differently to the marketing teams, but uh, I know that in SQL Server 2014, uh, I thought the best thing in the box was the clustered column store. Um, mm. And interestingly, yeah. the marketing uh, almost didn't mention it at all. And, uh, and I kept yeah. looking and going, uh, this, this is the coolest thing. Yeah. Mm. It is incredible. And, and I still think to this day, it's, um, it's just such an incredible feature set. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it, it is unsung to a certain extent. Um, I agree. Uh, and yet people, I think um, it's something's really, really uh, effective um, that people organically find it. And I think that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, well, I suppose, look, in that version, they were introducing the in-memory stuff. And they, I think they thought that was going to be the biggest story of the whole lot. 
uh, from a marketing point of view, but I, I looked at that and to me that had a very narrow use case still, uh, yeah. but the clustered column store had just such wide applicability. It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah, we're seeing that. Which um, actually, okay, so this dovetails nicely into the next feature, which is um, mm. a batch mode on row store. Okay, yep. um, so let's um, let's talk about folks that can't use column store. This is basically mm. um, so consider a scenario where you're CPU bound, you have relational data warehouse type workloads or analytic type workloads, and it could yep. be hybrid. You know, you could have transaction processing, and and it's too expensive to add column store for your app. Um, or you have uh, uh, vendor support issues. So vendor mm -hmm. doesn't support column store or um, there's functionality that we're not supporting today, you know, with column store. Yeah, which, with the uh, column store. So what, what do you yeah. think the biggest limits are there at the moment? Gosh, um, you know, it's not my main focus area, but mm -hmm. I, I, I think uh, triggers is yep. one of them. Isn't that on the list? And then cursor yeah. support mm -hmm. um, would be probably number two. Um, did yeah. you have one that you wanted to add? No, to no, actually, there, yeah. there's a couple of the ones that I hear mentioned pretty regularly. The, uh, but yeah, look, it's surprising <laughs> the, the the number of places that we've been able to use them that I didn't expect to be able to use it. So yeah, it's pretty yeah, broad uh, coverage. Um, yeah, like what was the other one? Uh, persisted? Isn't there something about persisted computer columns? Mm, yeah, which again um, is another favorite uh, feature of uh, my, I use persisted computer columns all the time. Yet it's funny, almost every time I see uh, demos of computed columns, uh, people hardly ever have them as persisted. Yet I, I think the vast majority should be persisted. So. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so I, I think those are the three that come top of mind, but mm. um, we, we see the scenario and also we see scenarios where people are trying to get batch mode um, without column store indexes. And, and just for those folks um, not familiar with batch mode versus column store, uh, it, column store indexing really is targeting the IO space. Um, because look, we're just storing by column. If you have a million rows with four different distinct values, um, it's very compression friendly. Uh, you're only, we're only pulling the columns that we need into memory. So IO paradise, very, very beneficial there. And when we introduced this in 2012, was it, um, it was coupled with the discussion of batch mode, which is really the CPU side of yeah, things. Yeah. I think 2012 had the non-clustered column store, but that was, <laughs> right. that, at that stage, that was still a sort of, uh, you couldn't modify the table. You'd have to switch yes, things so, in. Yeah. Yeah. That was and, a hassle. And so that's and, why I was saying the clustered column store in 14 was, yeah. uh, was that important, but 2016 is the one that then gave us the updatable non-clusters as well. And uh, I, I think that sort of rounded out the story really quite well. But mm -hmm. I think, yeah, the thing about batch mode is that in 2012, the you had to do convolutions that uh, would make the Kama Sutra look uh, <laughs> uh, to get into batch mode. And uh, in 2014, that just got a little bit easier. And it just seems along the way that that's become an easier thing. Um, yeah, I remember there was, a, there was an MSDN article at the time that said, look, this is how you can completely rewrite all your queries in a convoluted way to get them into batch mode. Right. And, uh, yeah, and, but if you did, the performance was outstanding. Yeah, yeah. But I remember that actually with the wiki. Work. Yeah. yeah, that 2012, there was that wiki that used to yep. be out there. I don't think it's out there anymore. And it was, it was awesome. It was very well written. And it was a lot of different, you know, here's how to rewrite. But yeah, ideally, you should not have to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. You know? so, so the batch mode 
um, operator parity is it's expanded like you said over since 2016 we we've we cover a lot of more operations and it's a lot more natural to get batch mode to kick in mm. in conjunction with column store um, but I mean the key thing with batch mode is what are we doing we're operating against 900 or some rows uh, at the same time so we have fewer CPU instructions and we're, we're working in conjunction with column store but all along um, there was always the capability to decouple these two features. Yeah. And and we would see that I, I mentioned earlier the the comp store index with the filtered index that never evaluates to true. I think it, it's like Itzik wrote about it in SQL Server magazine. You know, how do you get batch mode without having to, you know, have the the actual comp store index structure? Yeah. Well, um batch mode on row store is basically native support for this. So no tricks. Mm -hmm. Um we we take a look Basically, we apply initial heuristics and say, hey, okay, based on what we're estimating, um, there are some interesting characteristics of your query. It looks like an analytic type pattern. Let's open up the search space to consider batch mode operations. Um, and again, this will be under compatibility level 150. And this will be the case for everything I've discussed that's new in 2019 in SQL DB, um, except for approximate count distinct, which because mm -hmm. it's a new keyword, you don't need the compatibility level. Um, but uh, we open up heuristics, we, we determine, um, we have various checkpoints along the way where if we see that uh, it's much less uh, efficient to use batch mode versus role mode, we'll still do a role mode plan. But if we see a lot of benefit for batch mode operators, then we will ultimately select a plan that has batch mode operations without a column store. Uh, so we support yep. heaps and B-tree indexes. Awesome. And, uh, and and it's um uh, I, there's a lot of promise here. Um, if, if anything that I want to hear feedback from, I, I hope people test as much as possible. And, and I think this is where you saw my my tweet where I was mm -hmm. trying to just revive a little of attention. We're, we're having internal. We've we've had private preview uh, testing from customers and now public preview. Um, but this is the one where we really want to make sure we get those initial heuristics right. Um, yeah. and properly balanced. Um, so that we kick off when it's helpful and we don't kick off when it wouldn't be helpful, like an OLTP type workload. Hmm. Um, but it's some um, uh, native uh, support for these batch operations. So uh, if you're using the workarounds today, you're going to see a performance boost over this because obviously this is going to be baked into the engine. And um, uh, But uh, I think this one's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, nope. Looks awesome. Great. And then that leads us to the last one, um, not last but not least, um, scalar UDF inlining. Uh, and, uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the one that I, I think in this case uh, will get the most discussion. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, well, first of all, uh, setting some context so that the core query processing team works in Redmond, Washington. Um, I'm, I'm not a little bit of an outlier, so I work mm. uh, from Minneapolis and I fly out there monthly. Um, there's also a team that works in Madison, Wisconsin. So part of our research um, yeah, team in Madison, Wisconsin, and they, a couple of years ago, started research on um, T-SQL uh, scalar user-defined functions yeah. and started working with our team on telemetry. And then all of a sudden it became formal. And, and so we've partnered um, with them and uh, Karthik and, and Alan and Park, uh, uh, engineering team out there, they're still very much engaged and and seeing you know next steps for this feature. Um, but it was very clear that there is heavy market demand again for this construct that everybody, every MVP was saying, don't do this, don't use yeah. this. Um, but um, and, developers and of love it. it. Was, uh, 
yeah, from a development point of view, encapsulation is normally considered a pretty yeah. good thing to be doing. Yeah. And this, again, always flew directly against that uh, instinct that a developer would have. And, yeah, everybody's been out there saying, you know, do not do this. And yeah. mind you, if you try it, it becomes immediately apparent why you don't do it. So, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Oh, well, it, until it gets – and the problem is it's, it, it isn't immediately apparent in dev. Mm. And then you deploy it to production and then you get a little bit of heat on it and then it's too late. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's particularly appealing to beginner uh, developers because you can move all that complexity off of your select. And um, now you have this business lot. You mentioned the encapsulation. It, mm. It's also, um, you know, because it's imperative format, it's easier for people just beginning to learn T-SQL to think in that way. Like step one, declare the variable. Step two, populate it like this. Step three, yeah. you know, instead of thinking in a relational way, like how could we weave this into a, a, a relational equivalent? Mm. Um, and if you look at the, there's a Freud paper, not psychology related. Um, yes. It's yes, I, optimization. Love, I love the fact it was called that. Yeah. Yeah. It's for Freud optimization of imperative programs um, and, uh, and longer than that. But, but basically um, they detailed the telemetry at that point in time. And they said that they saw um, millions of user defined functions being used in the service executed mm. bil billions of times a day. Yeah. And so the, the impact was clear of, okay, this is a problem space uh, to, to be tackled. Um, and um, so uh, what, what they did is uh, they worked through uh, equivalents of moving imperative to relational. So mm. if you think of like a if statement, you could convert that to a case, a select case, yep. um, or like a return could be converted to a select. Um, and so taking your reference to the scalar um, UDFs and, and inlining them into relational equivalents. And this is another case, like you mentioned with column store, Greg, like the, you know, it was incremental. So 2012 mm. to 2016, there was a lot of stuff added along the way. And um, the feedback we're receiving so far is that the coverage for scalar UDF inlining of, of the constructs that are supported are actually hitting a good amount out of the gate. So for a yeah. first version, it's pretty good in terms of what it's covering. Um, and we could talk about what it's not covering as well, but, but um, you know, some, in one, one bank we were working with, they, I think they said 98% of all their functions got covered with uh, scalar UDF inlining. Um, and so, mm. uh, well, again, uh, look, for, for a lot of people, the thing is there, um, again, this is, this is one of the things that it's interesting when I'm having discussions with the product teams, they tend to, a lot of the people I talk to tend to be thinking about big customers like the Boeings and all these people who build all their own applications. But the vast majority of customers that I strike anyway, are running third party apps that somebody else has built and mm. they can't fix that stuff. Um, yeah by themselves and this sort of work where you do work where it just then runs a whole lot better just just benefits all those people yeah yeah and, and it, I, I agree with the principle too is just uh, assume no code changes could be made without breaking the agreement with the vendor yeah and um so uh in terms yeah, of the no, changes look, many, many of the vendors are completely antagonistic towards this sort of thing too <laughs> right. you know what i mean like it, it's a, well, yeah like I was Hope you touched a, it. Not, 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 no support. Yeah. At a local government, uh, like a local council uh, a few weeks back. And, you know, you, you sort of look at the, the code and like, they just extensively use curses and you go, okay, yeah, 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 that's not great. But every single time they do it, they're actually using it in something that should have been 
like fast forward read only, but they just open it default as a static cursor and you go, yeah, yeah. ah, please, please. And <laughs> you know that if you just went back to them, yeah, if you just go back to them and say, look, can you just please consider adding, you know, <laughs> these things in? And they just, they, they always, the problem is you never hit the developers. You hit the, the frontline people who just say, oh, no, no other council's complaining. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and how do you debate yeah, okay. that? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, it, yes, I hear you. And, you know, of course, being from Microsoft, we have a bit of that ourselves as well. Um, mm. And, uh, but I think um, expecting people to hand rewrite or uh, rely too heavily on hints or force ordering and all the different kind of bag of tricks. Mm. Um, ideally, we stay away from that as much as possible. Yeah. Um, now, by the way, everything I've mentioned today, we have escape patches for. Yep. So, I mean, the ultimate escape patches compatibility level, but we also have database scope configurations for each one mm. of these. Um, we have uh, query hints if you need to, like if, if everything but yeah. one thing is not working, we have that. Um, have and for scale, yeah. You don't have to. And then for scalar UDF inlining, that one actually has a fourth option, which is like the actual definition. You could say inline off um, mm -hmm. because there are um, there are a couple of scenarios. So um, I guess in terms of the benefit, first of all, when it gets inline, then we treat it like a regular query. It's not a black box. It's not costed improperly. It's parallel eligible if it makes sense to, to be mm -hmm. parallel. If you're woken up at two in the morning, you actually see the whole plan versus the serene, you know, simple little plan that just yeah. shows like a compute scaler. Um, and so it opens up supportability options. But uh, if we look at just overall um, how many people use this, of course, there will be regressions because there are cases where, um, for example, the two wrongs uh, sometimes make a right in the query mm. processing space. So let's say you're using uh, a, a a boatload of, of anti-patterns. So using table variables coupled with scalar UDF inlining plus some X query shredding and maybe some JSON to boot. And um, we're just making total guesses, but we the combination of our guesses happened to make the right answer. Yeah. Um, and, and now we come along and we fix something. We just fix one part of it. Hmm. And now all of a sudden we've broken the balance of this legacy application and, and there's a regression. Um, we see that is gonna be a case where you might need a hint or database scope configuration. Yeah. Um, the other yeah, one I'm glad, is, I'm glad that's actually at a database scope configuration too. yeah it's good yeah. to see more and more of those things coming in at that level yeah it's a balancing act by the way because when we first came out with 2017 we didn't advertise that too much hmm. um, but uh, you can't you know because we don't want to have this here's the 500 you know different database scope configurations and yet you must it, we, there's just too much of a diversity of workloads out there yeah so, so we can't not, we, we have to have that, that escape hatch. Um, the other thing with scalar UDF inlining, so I, I, it, it covers a lot, but there are cases where like, uh, for example, date functions, mm -hmm. um, get date, um, where we don't have it enabled today. And that's because some of the things might be expected, right? If you're calling this for a million different rows, you might um, expect you, different values. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so we have to be sensitive to that, have options, um, for that, um, and the other thing, uh, just kind of as people start to kick the tires with this, uh, a function could be inlineable, but how it's referenced might not be. Uh, mm -hmm. So if you have a select query that references an in inlineable function, um, and then you're trying to use it in a group by, well, that's yep. one of the things we don't support for this mm -hmm. first 
first rollout. And so you might not in line under those cases. So books online, it's it's pretty comprehensive. I think um, a lot of them will be edge cases with a few more common. Um, most common feedback we're hearing is around dates. And yeah. then the second um, most common is computed columns. Uh, it's, uh, it's and constraints pity, uh, with the date that there isn't an option to go you know like i i'm aware of this and just let it go you know because in, in many yeah. cases uh, people might actually want exactly the same date yeah i think i think there's a business case to to enable mm. that scenario um and i saw just actually this week the the uh, user voice entry for it um, it'll be interesting to watch votes over time. But I think mm. that one will be a popular request, especially the more people start to test this out, um, because yeah. I imagine get date is used all over the place or other date functions. Mm. Um, but um, again, uh, pretty good out of the gate. Uh, I We want to hear a lot of feedback. Like uh, I set up a, a distribution list called IntelligentQP at Microsoft.com. Mm -hmm. And um, that actually has a few of the other team members on it to try to get um, more feedback just, you know, as we lead to uh, launch of SQL Server 2019. And this stuff rolls out to SQL DB as well, obviously. Yep. So. Awesome. Hey, so they yeah. all sound really good, Joe. So the, tell us, and where, what have you got coming up or where will people see you or anything like that? <clears throat> oh, let's see. Okay. Um, where next? Because I'm doing a few internal things. Hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, I've been reliably at past the last couple of years. Great. Um, I haven't so that's one. Like it, so yeah, no, that's a big I know. And I, I, are you coming for the MVP summit? No. Okay. Oh, it's okay. unbelievably busy. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. And then the SQL intersection, I usually get every other one of hmm. those and, but, um, yeah, so that that's what I know of right now. Yeah, the other one I'd love to get across to is SQL bits, but uh, yeah, I love that one. Fit into, uh, the I'm missing it this either. time. Yeah, I, I know, but um, that's the uh, I know a lot of my team members are going to SQL bits this year. Yeah. Um, so it'd be good to always looks like a barrel of fun. Yeah, so. yeah, really, really good. Uh, very low in marketing too, which is the feedback yeah. I'm hearing mm -hmm. from folks. So, yeah. Terrific. Uh, well, listen, thank you so very much for your time today, Joe. Yeah, thank you for having me back, Greg. And it's, oh, it's we're looking forward to it. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Great. Take care. Thank you.